Abba Father, thank you for your love and grace. Thank you for the way you are patient and kind, even in our doubts. And a lot of the questions that we have, and from our side, it looks like we're not getting any answers. And that can be hard on us. So very, very hard. So speak clearly, please speak. Your children, your servants are listening. And we need you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. A word of sensitivity to everyone that's here. Uh, We have folks here, I think your faith is like a rock. It's like when we were up in Canada, we were looking at the the Canadian Rockies. It's just granite mountains that are just breathtaking. And they're solid. I think you guys have some faith like that. Rock solid faith. Others, man, we're struggling. We are struggling. And I wish I had hard granite faith. But sometimes I struggle with my faith and I can battle with doubts and frustration of the questions that I want answered, that I'm not getting answers, all these kind of things. And I just want you to know that uh, that is normal. Doubting is normal. It's normal for one because we're empirical people. We love science. We love it. One plus one is two. Fantastic. Feels great on the brain, right? And if you contract with your boss, you put in 40 hours, you get $1,000 on Friday afternoon. And if you get shorted 200 bucks, your paycheck is $800. All of a sudden, math matters. It's important. One plus one is two matters. And so we like when things line up in our brains and when they make sense. And when they don't, it picks at us. Uh, for the people that see me uh, who deal with trauma, some of the biggest struggles they have is, why did it happen? How do you answer that? The death of a loved one, divorce, broadsided by divorce, broadsided by getting fired at work when there was no write-ups, no corrective action plans and employee improvement, none of it. And you're broadsided, you're fired. Why? What happened? You know, And those abstract, deeply emotional Issues, when they hit us, they hit deep, and we want answers, and we don't get them, and it's hard. So life is hard, and I, and I want you to know my high, high level of respect and sensitivity for where you are and doubts. And we're going to deal with a little bit of uh, material on doubts today. Today's going to be a challenge. We're going to work today to deal with this issue of deconstruction and how to reconstruct our faith. So you're looking at the slide. Uh, These are some of the common reasons why people deconstruct. Uh, Joe, I want to do a shout out. Joe noted the fourth one, their cognitive dissonance, which is a fancy way of saying it doesn't make sense in our brains, thinking errors, about the message of the church and then the reality of the world outside the church. For example, we can be all together and you hear people say, love you. Oh, my God, so good to see you. Yeah, love you. Love you, too. It's great. And then when the service is over and you go home and you're all alone. And yet we're talking about love and acceptance and, and, and being in the family and in the body of Christ. And then you get out of here and sometimes you feel like, man, it's lonely. And there's a lot of disconnect sometimes between what the church is talking about and what's going on on planet Earth. It's almost like... The church focuses on heaven, the realities of heaven, and yet the realities of earth create a big gap. And it's really hard sometimes. And that gap can be so pronounced that people 
say, you know, the church just doesn't make sense, those kinds of things. So lots of reasons why. Uh, has any, I tasked you with some things, homework last week. Anybody, other reasons why people deconstruct their faith that you're familiar with or come across this week? Want to open it up, anybody? David? Security in the world. Security, yes, yeah, safety, absolutely very primal, very, very primal. Yeah. Yep, that's good. Acceptance, uh, absolutely. Yeah, and that's an important idea, David, very important. So, all right, what I want to do, remind you about defining our terms on deconstruction. Um, if you mean by deconstruction that we're going to examine our faith, we're going to think critically, correct errors, uh, errors in our belief, errors in our behaviors, I am all for it. I am there. Man, I'll beat you to it. Come on, let's deconstruct wrong perceptions, misunderstandings, bad terminology, bad theology. Sure, let's deconstruct it all. And I've done that in my life uh, when I was a group as a Catholic, and that brought in a whole perspective that, quite frankly, some of it was good. A lot of it needed to be deconstructed. And then I found myself at Calvary Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas, 16, brand new believer, trying to make sense out of life. And whatever Calvary Baptist Church said, I believed. Whatever uh, the pastor said, I believed. I didn't know better. I didn't know better. And it took a lot of years for me to mature, get my own theological feet under me where I could think for myself. And I have changed some of my beliefs over the years. I have. All right? And there are things about the Southern Baptist tradition that I absolutely support and others like, there's no way. There is no biblical sound, biblical basis for, for that Southern Baptist tradition or that Southern Baptist teaching. So if that's a deconstruction, come on, let's do it. Let's work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That statement's found in Hebrews. Now, if it means renouncing faith and atheism, no, wow, no, uh-uh, can't go there, can't go there. There's too much scientific evidence for God, and we'll get to that. Uh, can't go there. If you mean deconstructing faith, meaning changing beliefs, David, to fit into culture, to blend in, no. And by the way, that's the popular one. That's typically what's happening. We're, we're, we're going we to complain about the rigidity, the strictness, the blackness, the whiteness of the church. No gray area or too small of a gray area, and we're going to throw off those rigid, strict rules, and we're going to throw discretion to the wind, and we're just going to kind of do what we want, and live the way we want, and believe what we want, and guess what? We're going to do it in Jesus' name, because the Bible says to love one another. <laughs> and so, they, the, the people on this changing beliefs of your culture, the driving ethic that they use to justify everything. And they use this out of the scriptures. What is it? This is, they always go to this thing. You, come on, it's common sense. They go to this to justify anything and why we should not judge. What is it? What's it do? No, no, it's, it's the one thing they go to. That's true. It's the one thing they go to that if you do this, you're in the clear. Keep going. I'm probably asking this in a complicated way. Love. Love, love. That's it. That's your ethic. That's your ethic. And so if you truly love, 
You don't judge anybody. If you truly love, you'll accept anybody. Also, love is the hermeneutic. It's, it's the thing you do. They also push unconditional love. Unconditional, that's right. Anything goes. Anything goes. Yeah. So we now have this thing called MAP. Okay. Minor attracted persons. It's the new thing. It's all the rage. Right. And after all, if your ethic is love, it's not a problem, right? That's, that's where that type of deconstruction goes. It gets darker and darker and darker and, and down the degenerative hole. It, it's, it's a mess. All right, now. All right, so let's lock it down. I'm all for rebuilding our faith. I'm all for critical examination. Bring it. But bending to culture, no, not at Christ Church. Other, church, other, school, other, schools, other churches might do that. Other pulpits might be afraid to lose members. I am not. Uh, I will stand. The authority that drives my life is the word of God. It's not my position, my title. None of those things. I see myself as being a very non-authoritative person. But the word of God stands. And everything is judged uh, by scripture. And that, for me, that will never, uh, ever change. And if it does, then I want you to fire my lazy, irresponsible rear end as quickly as possible. Uh, so, what about scripture? What about digging into God's word? Uh, I, I, I had this idea of, you know, if we're going to deal with deconstruction, one of the great questions is, are there examples of deconstruction in the New Testament? And the answer is yes. There's a lot. Okay. So I want you to open your Bibles, and we're going to start with 1 Timothy 4, and we're going to walk through Scripture and expose what happens with deconstruction and, and th- what the biblical model looks like. So 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, and it, and it goes like this. But the Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit, explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. The term for fall away is to refuse to stand. To refuse to stand. In other words, uh, can you imagine being a crowd and let's say we're in a, a political situation that is profoundly aversive to Christians, and a police officer says, uh, all right, if you're a Christian, stand up. Let's go. Stand up. And the true believers stand. But the one who's in that process of falling away refuses to stand. That's the term. I'm not going to stand up. I'm not going to do it. Okay. So the Spirit says, in latter times, there will be people who refuse to stand and that is very much reality. Now, uh, every generation has claimed 1 Timothy 4 as being the latter times. Joe, 100 years ago, they said, it's the latter times, it's bad. The next generation, oh, no, no, it's really the latter times. Listen, it's always the latter time, always. It's always dark. We're always on the cusp of revelation. Come, to say it in Aramaic Hebrew, Maranatha. Come, Jesus, now. Please, all right, let's look at chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Um, verse 9, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap 
and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Wandered away, uh, it's really a pretty decent translation. It means to stray, just like a sheep that wanders in the herd, straying away. So there, there are people that are driven by materialism. They want money. They believe, and, and, and can I just get this out there, that money will make you happier than God. Material possessions, things, make you happier than God does. Now that's tough. And, and I need to develop this with you. This is too, too important to pass up. All right. We are scientific creatures, right? God gave us five senses, and we experience life through those five senses. That's all we got, those five senses, right? Now, for those of us who are born again and have faith and have the spirit inside of us, we can argue for a sixth sense, and that is the work of God's presence in us through the spirit, right? And the spirit doesn't, is not limited to those five senses. But that's a really heady kind of thing. I get it. I get it. It's tough because you can't put it in the test tube, Right? I appreciate the story in the Gospels where there's a woman who's exhausted with disease and she is so desperate. She chooses to get on her hands and knees and crawl and work her way through the crowd. And she says, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. I love that story. I want to do that now. Margaret Becker came out with a song years ago and it said, I want to cling to him and feel the folds of his robe as I hold on to his ankles. Man, I love that. I get that. I want to see him with my eyes, hear him. I want to grab him. I want to hold him. There's something inside of me. I'm like Thomas. Can I see the wounds? Can Can I see the bad one, the bad wound? Not just the hands and the feet wounds, the really bad one. I want to do it because I believe that because of my scientific mind, it will help me believe there's a bit of Thomas in me. I think there's a bit of Thomas in all of us. My daughter Catherine uh, gave me a gift for Father's Day, and it's a really, really neat gift. It's a pillow, and the message, the printing on it is just a great, a great thing. And, and I held it, and I looked at it, and it's soft, and you, know, you could feel it, and smell it, and all that stuff. A new pillow, the new fabric. There's something about material things that's really, really satisfying, right? Like holding that gift. Please don't misunderstand me. I don't, den- I don't deny that. Material things can be wonderful things. Paul told Timothy, teach everyone that it's okay to enjoy good things that God gives us. It's okay to do that. But when we set our heart on material things, idolatry forms, and we have this idea that things make us happier than God. Things make us happier than Scripture. Things make us happier than, than the, the stuff of the kingdom of God. This is, the, this is one of the roots, one of the key processes by which Satan, the great deceiver, can cause us to wander away.
And all of a sudden, our pursuit of money, our pursuit of materialism, our pursuit of material wealth and all of its forms and material comfort is far more important than our faith. And we're gone. We've checked out. We've checked out. And at that point, church can become more of a, uh, maybe a social, social club. Because you've got to maintain your business network, right? Okay, little jab there. Little jab. Uh, 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3. For the time will come when they... Now, these are, they are insider people, not outsiders. For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine. Talk about a boring sermon. Who wants to hear sound doctrine? Encourage me. Give me one of those stories. Oh, my gosh. They, they, want, they don't want to hear sound doctrine, but they want their ears tickled. For they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. There's deconstruction right there. The, the Greek word for turn aside, it's hard. It is not a fun Greek word. For those of you who are PTs, Jovi, you're here, this is going to be bad. It means to twist the arm so, so much it pops out of socket. To dislocate the joint is what it really means. To twist it so hard the joint breaks and pops out. So let me read it again. For there's going to be a time, latter times, when people will no longer tolerate sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, self-help religion, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and they will turn their ears to the truth and will dislocate, break the joint from being attached to the body of Christ, where Paul says, it's like joints and ligaments, we're all fitting together. It's going to snap, and they're going to, dislocated and they're going to turn to myths that's serious stuff that's really serious stuff one more in in uh, chapter four of second timothy and i want to develop this a little bit in the in the teaching here second timothy 4 9 make every effort to come to me soon he's saying hey tim we've got a lot going on i'm aging i need you here Make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to the nation. We'll comment about Demas here in just a little bit. Look at Hebrews 4, excuse me, Hebrews 6. This is going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Uh, I know one of the things in the Southern Baptist tradition is once saved, always saved. And your, your, your spiritual backgrounds, you like, of course, come on, I got that one tattooed. You know, once saved, always saved. Or, or Quentin, Quentin is hilarious. Okay, I was unloading, doing, Quentin actually came to my house to work on a car. We were talking about this a little bit, and then Quentin says this, quoting a preacher. If your faith falters at the finish, no, no, no. If your faith fizzled at the finish, it was faulty at the first. Okay. There's your little Southern Baptist quip. Uh, what about security of the believer? Well, it's a tough one. This is what Hebrews 6 verse 4 says. For those who turn away, it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift 
and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. You can't become a believer and then turn away. In Greek, it's, it's a really fascinating term. An, an English equivalent would mean not so much fall away, but to downgrade. Parapipto, to downgrade, to, to say, you know, I was up here with Jesus and it was lofty. And it was, I know it was, I know it was right. I know it was the truth. I know the gospel is right. There's no other way to God except through Jesus. I know that. And I'm going to downgrade. And I'm going to act like it doesn't matter. That's what he said. That person can never be renewed again. This is serious stuff. This idea of deconstruction. Let's do the next one. 1039. Just a quick reading here. But we are not among those who shrink back to destruction. But of those who have faith for the safekeeping of the soul. The term, the term shrink back. It's, it's like a pretty good translation. But it might be better understood by the term sneak away. We're, we're not like people who sneak away. When your faith becomes expensive, we don't sneak away. James chapter 5. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you strays, you wander from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that the one who has turned a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Uh, we stray. Believers stray. And when there's someone who will walk with you through that pain, through the doubts, through the questions, and can guide you back, it is absolutely a beautiful thing. All right, tough one. Second Peter 2. 2 Peter 2 about those who choose to deconstruct. Um, this is very similar to Hebrews 6. These are insiders. And he describes these insiders as these people are like springs without water, mist driven by a storm, for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For while speaking out arrogant words of no value, they enticed, they enticed by fleshly desires, by indecent behavior, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. These, these are supposed to be insiders, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves to corruption. For by what, but for by what anyone is overcome, by this he is enslaved. The thing that overcomes you, that beats you, this is what enslaves you. There's no getting away from it. I uh, uh, some of the some of the most challenging clients I see are clients who battle addiction. Uh, and and when you're addicted to meth, when you're addicted to the hard, hard narcotics. You're addicted to weed, it can be a problem. When you're addicted to alcohol, it can be a problem. And one of the questions I ask the folks that see me for addictions, I just say, 
Are you bigger than alcohol? Are you bigger than weed? Can you beat it? Oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. Okay, great. <laughs> Let's start there. <laughs> I want you to go seven days. Don't touch the sauce. Let's see how you handle it. And next time I see him, how'd it go? Those are good. Oh, really? So, like, you weigh 49 pounds and alcohol weighs 51 pounds? It's bigger than you by just a little bit. Let's go another seven days. <laughs> and then what happens is they go like, I'm whipped. I'm whipped, Chris. I'm, I'm beat. I was, I was literally deceiving myself that I could handle this, and I can't. Ah, now we can, now we can get down to work. The thing that you're overcome by is the thing that you're enslaved to. Verse 20. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus, they're again entangled in them and are overcome, the last day becomes worse than the first. For it would be better for them to not have even known the way of righteousness than having known it and to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. Deconstruction, turning away, refusing Jesus Christ, a very, very serious matter. First John 2, last one. First John 2. And this is another issue with insiders. First John chapter 2, verse 18. Children. John's old. He loves that word. Children. Technoi. Children. It is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They church members of John's community went out from us for they really were not of us for if they had been of us they would have remained with us but they went out so that it would be evident that they were not of us they deconstructed they didn't want the gospel of Jesus all right let's dig in here a couple of scriptures about Demas it's about AD 60 8060, this is Colossians. Paul's writing to the Colossian church. By the way, a really, really tough place to be a Christian. A lot of paganism, heavy, heavy Roman influence. Um, what would be a comparison? Seattle, Portland. A lot of liberalism, a lot of scandal going on. It's a tough place to be in Colossae. And so Paul's writing to them, and as is customary, Paul is saying, I'm going to give you the names of people Pay attention to these people. They're very, very important. In fact, they're so important, they're an extension of me. Did you get it? These people are so important that if I endorse them, they're an extension of me. Epiphras, one who is, uh, who is one of your own, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, sends you his greeting, always striving earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. That's reconstructed. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who also are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. These are very close uh, city centers. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings. 
And Demas also sends you his greetings. Greet the brothers and sisters who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. It is possible that Nympha is the spiritual leader of that church. So 8060, this is the first word we hear about Demas. We don't know much about the guy, don't know where he's from, uh, don't know his background, the conversion story, but he's so important to Paul that he gets endorsed at the, at the tag section of Colossians. He gets endorsed. It's 8060. Six years later, Paul writes, Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Creston's gone to Galatia and Titus to Galatia. I want you to, to see something here. This term for deserted is a very strong term. It was a harsh break. It was a tough break. Demas made a very intentional and deliberate decision. It wasn't like, you know, Timothy, man, I struggle with my fear issues and my anxiety. I just need a vacation from this Christian thing. No, no. No. Let me translate this. Demas has deserted has forsaken, has rejected me. Agapao. Do you understand the difference between agapao and like eros? Eros obviously gives you an English equivalent to erotic, but it's a fleshly love. Like I love steak. Okay? There's nothing spiritual about loving steak. All right? Eros. A very primal physical love. Phileo, brotherly love. Man, we're buds. <clears throat> we're in it for the long haul. We're a team. We're not going to forsake. We've got each other's back. Phileo, family love. Agapao, sometimes translated incorrectly, agape. That's the highest love. In fact, Freddie, agape, agapao love is used to describe how God loves us. Right? Demas rejected the faith because he had the highest love. He had agape love, agapao love. Does it, aeon, aeon, aeon here, for world culture. If there's a point blank, there it is, deconstruction, it's Demas. <laughs> there it is. He has rejected and forsaken Jesus in the mission of the kingdom because his highest love is for not the world, cosmos, for God so loved the world, cosmos. It's, it's aeon. It's the time period that he lived in. Demas loved his culture more than he loved Jesus. That is deconstruction. There it is. That's the hard definition of deconstruction. And that's tough. Uh, dear Christ Church the word of God is like a sharp sword a two edged sword you know when you when you hear that out of 
Uh, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is like a sword. You can almost see, you know, Russell Crowe, the gladiator, draw that mighty big sword out. and or, or you got this vision of, you know, Gibson, you know, and Braveheart taking out that giant six-foot thing that you can attack a horse with. Like, rah, there's a man's sword. No, the Greek in Hebrews 4.12 suggests that the word of God is probably closer akin to the knife of a surgeon. It knows how to cut through a whole lot of mess, our lies, our deceptions, all the mess, and get down to what the real issue is. And it's, it's, it's hard, it's so hard. <sighs> You know, I don't mind some Thomas in us, you know, doubting. I get it. I get it. But when it's Demas, it's bad. It's really bad. And your highest love and the deepest devotion of your heart is the world and the culture you live in. That's really, really bad. All right. All right, there's the hard line. This is the truth of God's word. And I will not shy from it at all. Um, what's going to be happening in the next block of teaching on, on reconstructing our faith is it's going to get a whole lot more fun, okay? It's going to be good stuff. We're going to talk about medical sciences. We're going to talk about genetics. We're going to deal with cosmology. And we're going to talk about the evidence for something far beyond us, the evidence for God, and it is going to be so good. And uh, I can't wait to share that with you. Now, I want to open it up to you because I feel like biblically I have, I have no other choice to do that. Um, I want to hear from you ways we deconstruct, uh, reasons why we deconstruct, or something about the scriptures that we've covered this morning that you want to say, even as, as in a prophetic tone. We've got to pay attention to this. This is really, really serious stuff. We can't compromise here. Anybody, you have a word based on God's, God's spirit or God's word. You want to share the, the truth. Yeah, Janice. Okay. I kind of have trouble with the, if you're really saved, do you fall away? Okay. okay. I, because I feel like once you've been really saved, that's almost impossible to do. Okay. And I'm basing this on the verse on John 18, verse 9. And there's another one someplace else. I haven't found it, but... 18 verse 9 says this took place so that the word which he spoke would be fulfilled of those whom you have given me I lost not one. Yeah, yeah. Which would be the 11. He's talking about the 11, well, the disciples. Right, he's the 12th one. He's the one that was lost. Yeah. yeah. So that doesn't have anything to do with our salvation. I so want to make you struggle right now. <laughs> I'm actually not going to answer it. I want you, if that shook your cage, good. Good. Shake it up. Good. Chase it down. Figure it out. By the way, I taught on security of the believer a long time ago. Were you paying attention? Probably. You probably. Oh, were you sitting next to Alan? He is. You're so good looking. It's a distraction. And I can understand. It's just hard on Janice. Bless her heart. Yeah. I want you to struggle. Well, well, there's an answer. And there's a solid answer. But I want you to struggle with it. 
Someone else about reconstruction, deconstruction. Edie? Not at all. Not at all, Edie. You nailed it. Yeah. So let's stay the course. Uh, when, you know, when it comes to categorizing sin and what are the really nasty ones, right? The, nasty, the bad ones. The one we don't want to talk about. Uh, isn't it interesting that Jesus said to Peter, when Peter said, uh-uh, I'm not going to go to Jerusalem and, and get in trouble and get... Nope, nope. Uh, like Jesus, Peter's Jesus' bodyguard. I'm not going to let that happen to you, Lord. And what does Jesus say to Peter? What does he call him? Satan. <laughs> Get behind me, Satan. You have no idea what you're talking about. You're missing the whole point. Okay. After Peter's great fall, talk about committing the big nasty. Right? Three times. The big nasty. What does Jesus say? Pat, you know this. During the restoration of Peter, what does Jesus ask him? Do you love me? He first uses the word agapao. Peter, do you agapao me? Demas, having loved this present world, has forsaken me. So, I want you to wrestle with this stuff. I want you to, I want you to figure it out. I do. I do. Uh, anybody else? Stephen, somebody online? Anybody? David? I just, it draws me to the verse that is Yeah, David, that's actually wise of you to share that. Because is God ashamed of our doubts? Not at all. Not at all. He, he wants, bring the doubts. Come on. Come on, little Chrissy. You're struggling with some doubts? Come here. Let's talk about it. He wants that. Yeah, search me, God. Come on. Come on, search me. Absolutely. So this is good. Had the answer and they didn't like it, so they continued to seek out the answer. So it was something that 
they Yeah, absolutely, Patch. Okay. Yep, that's true. Yep, that's good. That's good. Um, it's interesting, Edie, that when Thomas sees, he gives uh, the, one of the greatest theological statements found in the New Testament. Behold, my Lord and my God. He perceived Jesus as being God, which is amazing. Let me read this to you, and I want to pray over you. John 3, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not judged. The one who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment that light is coming to the world and people loved darkness rather than light. Agapa. For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light so that his deeds will not be exposed. But the one who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds will be revealed as having been performed by God. If you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I beg you, do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart. Do not, do not be the person that gets tripped up with the idea that you almost have to have a perfect faith in your ability to have faith. Or you're struggling to have this perfect belief in your ability to believe. Or once you're morally perfect, then you're going to be easily accepted by God. If that's you, then you're trying to be your own savior. Uh, If you're like me, you have no grounds for devout acceptance by God. It is all by the love and grace of Jesus. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Faith is not... Faith is not about perfection. Faith is not about how obedient you are. Faith is not about submitting to highly refined creeds and doctrinal statements. Faith is something that's desperate. Faith is literally putting your trust in Jesus and doing so because you realize there's no other choice. Jesus isn't a good choice among many. (laughs) He's the only choice. 
And that's why he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except me. If your heart's cry is, Abba Father, I, I, I need you. I have, I have sinned. My sin has separated you. But the blood of your son can cleanse me from my sins. I trust that. I, by faith, I'm believing that it applies to me. I accept it. I receive it. And you literally say, save me. And the scripture says that whoever calls upon him will not be disappointed. And you believe. And you get baptized to show the world that you're not ashamed of him. And you become a follower of Jesus. And if you're like me, it's bruised and bloody and stumbling, but you don't go backwards. You keep going forward. Sometimes you run, sometimes you walk, sometimes you crawl. But you don't go backwards. And you stay the course. If that's you, I want you, please make a beeline for me after I'm done praying, please. Abba, Father, I thank you for your love and grace. Thank you that we have hope through Jesus. Thank you for the authority of your word that pushes for these deep structural course corrections because in us is the capacity to wander and to come up with all kinds of reasons why we, we, we're going to justify turning away from you in small increments until finally we make the big break and we're disjointed. Abba, Father, have mercy on us. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you're not afraid of our doubts. Give us your grace and your wisdom, please. In Jesus' name, amen.